All right, this is a special Sunday. We have baptism. We have people joining the church family. And we got a longer text, but we're going to have a shorter message to go along with it. So I'm going to read chapter 19 of the Gospel of John. Please listen. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times. Sorry, that's the wrong text. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and clothed him in purple robes. And then, and they kept coming to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing you out to him to let you know I found no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds in charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard, he went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have authority to release you? And authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered, if it had not been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside And he sat down on the judge's seat in the place called the stone pavement. It was the preparation for the day of Passover. And it was about noon. And he told the Jews, here is your king. And they shouted, crucify him. Take him away. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. The chief priests answered, Then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Then they crucified him with two others beside him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made up and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided it, them into four parts, a part for each soldier. 
Then they took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top, and they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled that says, they divided my clothes among them, and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine and on, hyssop, on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross of the, on the Sabbath. For that Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and their bodies be taken down so that the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs because they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he's telling the truth. For these things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bo bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says, they will look at him, the one they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because of the fear of the Jews, asked of Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took the body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. And they took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloth, with the fragrant spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews, there was a garden in that place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus in there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. This is the word of the Lord. Now, we can't cover that whole chapter, the whole story, but it's a beautiful thing to hear again. Amen? But I do want to take a look at a few pieces. And, and I want us to look at it first. We see that, you know, they, they arrest and they try Jesus. And we learned a little bit about that last week. And then they, they put him on the cross, right? And then they put a sign above his head and it said, the king of the Jews. Have you ever heard the question asked, or you maybe even asked it yourself, 
Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, the, the Christian answer is this. It's only happened once, and he volunteered. Do you get what's happening here? Normally, you would put on the, um, on the top of a cross, on the crucifixion. Now, you think about this like the electric chair. Think about this like the spot where they would strap you down and do the lethal injection, right? This was a Roman form of capital punishment, a common one. And what they would do is they would put the crime that that person was convicted of above their head, Except in Jesus' case, all they wrote was true. He was the king. He is the king. <laughs> and this is the message of Christmas, right? And I shared this last week, right? We, we tend to, like, remember this time when Jesus was born, right, to the Virgin Mary, this, this innocent child. And what's so mind-blowing is that what we have here is we have Jesus, around 33 years old, hanging on the cross as innocent as the day he was born. The message of Christmas and the message of the gospel is that God sent his son to be a sacrifice for us. It was an offering of love. Now imagine Jesus is lying down in that feeding trough where the animals eat so that one day he'd be hanging on a cross for you and me. He was born to be a king. He was born to be a king. When they wrote King of the Jews, they were right. And this wasn't a crime. <laughs> Every single bad thing that has ever happened to anyone else never happened to any of us in total innocence. But Jesus was that guy. I mean, like, l l listen, John's like 21 chapters, right? And we're in 19. Now, could you imagine someone wrote your life in 21 chapters? <laughs> All right? About the size of the Gospel of John. And there would be some good stuff in there, wouldn't there? There'd be some good stuff. There'd be some high points, some low points. There'd be some trauma. There'd be some stuff that happened to you that wasn't your fault. That like kind of defines and, and, and explains who you are today. Amen? There, there would be um, some things where some chapters we, you wouldn't want read in church, right? So, some things you did to people that you wouldn't want everybody to know. There might be some people you cut off or some people who cut you off. Maybe sometimes that you, you really missed it and you ran after things that didn't really matter. You ran after money. You ran after relationships. You ran after unattached sex. You ran after getting high. And for some of us, it's just been this life where we're just trying to be happy, right? We're just trying to make it through and, and survive. We might be numbing ourselves with video games, with videos, with work, with food, with drugs, whatever. But Jesus' life 
from the moment he was born and placed in the feeding trough all the way up to this part where they put him on a cross with a sign over it that says the king of the Jews. Jesus' life is full of healing, full of understanding, full of touching the untouchable, full of seeing the people that no one else wanted to see, full of all of that. Every chapter of Jesus' life is the same guy with the fruits of the Spirit just coming out every single time. Always loving, always joyful, always patient, always kind. That man on the cross, even while he's on the cross, he is praying for his enemies. He's forgiving the people that put him up on that cross. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus is the same innocent, holy man that he was when he was born on Christmas Day to the last day of his life on the cross. And even on that cross, he's looking down, and what does he do? He's thinking about who's going to take care of his mom. (laughs) Did you notice that? He goes to the youngest disciple he has, but one of his close friends, and he sees John there. The disciple whom he loved. And he says, Mary, behold your mother. Behold your son. John, behold your mother. I take comfort in this passage. What about Jesus? What was it about Jesus' family, his own family, that he had to do this in his last breath? Right? If you know me, maybe you saw a video we put out there. I got my own dad issues, right? (laughs) In the Gospels, we don't see Joseph after he's 12 years old pop up again. And we don't know why that is. Did he die? Was it just too much? I mean, can you imagine your child (laughs) just like, just can do miracles and is always right? (laughs) right? Who knows? But we just do not see Joseph in the story after Jesus is 12 years old. And in that story, that's the story where they lose him. They lose him in the city when they visit Jerusalem. Why did there have to be someone like John to take care of Jesus's mom? Because Joseph ain't there. Why couldn't it have been one of Jesus' brothers? Those children that were born after Jesus. Why was it his friend? You know, the second part of our mission here at Epiphany Church is to become a family together. The first is to make disciples of Jesus. But the natural thing that flows out of discipleship is family. That's why we talk about taking care of each other. We talk about bearing each other's burdens. We also talk about sharing each other's joys so that when you get the news that the report is bad and it's terminal cancer, we there with soup, we there hanging out, we there. When you get the news that you got the back pay, you've been waiting a year for disability, we there take us out to eat, Bill. Right? We, <laughs> we're praising God with you, amen? We actually are a family together. Do you hear what I'm saying? When you're about to lose your mind and you're about to do something stupid, we're there to take you in the car, drive you down to Atlantic City just to look at the beach at 12 a.m., right? And then drive back and talk you out of your nonsense. 
Jesus creates family for people who need family. That's what the gospel has always been doing. And that's what the gospel is doing right here. And that's what this day is about. Amen? It doesn't take us away from our own family. It actually causes us to relate to our own family in more healthy ways. But then also we got a bunch of new aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, moms and dads in the faith. And then he gives his last breath for us. You know, and then we get this crazy stuff kind of near the end, right? We hear his bones will not be broken. I had to really dig into this one. Didn't come immediately to me because it kind of felt like, okay, it's just another thing that Jesus technically fulfilled. But why? <laughs> what does it mean? But then when it when you know, as I'm reading commentaries and studying the passage and looking back in the Old Testament, it was it was obvious. It was obvious. It isn't just that Jesus didn't have his bones broken just so he could fulfill a line in the Old Testament. Although it is that. It's that Jesus is, every detail in this passage, Jesus is the Passover lamb. When God's people were in Egypt and they were slaves, he sent an angel of death across the land. And he told all his people, if you want to be spared from this curse where the firstborn child would die, you need to get a perfect lamb. And you need to prepare it in a very specific way. And then you take the blood of that lamb and you place it on the top of your door so that the angel of death would pass over your family. Jesus is the lamb of God. That's like the first thing we see when the John the Baptist sees Jesus, right, in the beginning of this gospel, right? What does he say? He just falls on his face and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You know, and this is not a small thing. So in the back of the, of the church, there is actually a few copies of this, but there is... Um, a list of 351 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills, okay? And so these, these prophecies, we read one this, right in the beginning of the service, right, where it talked about the, the land of Galilee, right? Talked about where this king would come, this child that would save the world would come from this unremarkable remote place, that was on the edge of the nation. And there are so many prophecies about Jesus. And this can be helpful for someone who's seeking the faith, seeking what they believe, trying to figure this out to go over and look at the Old Testament. 
You're talking about some of these are a couple thousand years before Jesus is born. Some of these are like 600 years before Jesus is born. But they describe in detail the life and ministry of Jesus. But some of you, you're not in that spot of seeking and asking questions and having those doubts. But if that's you, that's why we're here, right? We ain't here to beat you up. We're here to like talk to you about it and encourage you, you know? But if, 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 if you're like, I believe this. Sometimes walking through those prophecies just is so encouraging. Just fall in love with who Jesus is and all the amazing ways he fulfills all the Old Testament. Amen? And then we see at the end of this story, this is one of my favorite parts in the Gospel of John. We see hope for Nicodemus. <laughs> you know? And you see, the, you see him, like, drop in 75 pounds of myrrh. <laughs> for the, um, so Joseph of Arimathea gets the site, the burial site, and he's a secret follower of Jesus. This is really cool. He's a secret follower of Jesus. And then, and then um, this guy, Nicodemus, brings the, the perfume and the, the stuff they would use for the burial. Because I think most of you know this. But um, if you ever smell death, it's an unforgettable smell, right? You never forget that smell. And so they had these ancient ways of covering over that. This 75 pounds of this stuff would have been like a house. It would have been like 150 to $200,000 worth of spice and perfume. And Jesus is just loved on and lavished after he dies. He's, he's, he's honored, right? This innocent king who was put on the cross, he's honored. This is why I love this story. The Gospel of John starts off pretty early on. Nicodemus shows up. He comes to him at night. Even John records, remember? He says the guy who came to Jesus at night. And he was the religious leader. He was supposed to have all the answers, but he was kind of ashamed. So he went to Jesus when nobody was really watching. He snuck in there in the dark, and he asked Jesus a bunch of questions. And if he hadn't gone and had this conversation with Jesus, we wouldn't have heard the most well-loved words of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He said that to Nicodemus in this conversation that he had late at night. He was explaining to him what it meant to be born again. He was explaining to him how the Spirit of God moves. Man. And the story kind of drops off, like a lot of the stories in the gospel, where you don't know. It drops off like a cliffhanger, and you don't know. Did John ever follow Jesus? A lot of the stories end like that. Jesus tells the rich young ruler, right? You got to sell everything you have and follow me. And he does it. We don't get the, the result. We don't know what the guy did. There's so many times where the gospel stories are supposed to leave us thinking, what happened? Because the reality is, is that even to this day, 2,000 years later, right? Some people will respond to the message of the gospel, and some people won't. And here, Nicodemus 
fell in love with Jesus. <laughs> he did follow Jesus. You don't see him at all popping up in the stories, but you see him here at the end. If you don't hear anything else that I say tonight, hear this. It's not how you start off. It's how you finish. Our brothers and sisters here joining the church, amen, some of them have stories of deliverance from drugs. Some of them have struggles with their health. Some of them are struggling today. It's not how you start. It's how you finish, right? And that's the whole point of baptism. We are dead in Christ and we rise again because right now I'm preaching the chapter on his crucifixion, but next week I'm preaching on his resurrection, that he didn't stay in that tomb. Those professing faith don't stop looking at Jesus. Those who are seeking, don't turn your eyes away. Don't turn your eyes away. I don't know what Nicodemus went through. I don't know how long it took for him. You know, this is extremely encouraging. Um, I, I need you to know this. Do we want you to be an out Christian that's just like, like, you know, storm in heaven and bringing all your friends to church? Yes. But can you be, could it be possible that you could be seeking and truly love Jesus, but you just aren't really good at it? <laughs> yeah. Joseph of Arimathea is a secret Christian, but he's going to heaven. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can be a messed up, not getting it always right, like not being consistent, struggling along, follower of Christ, and I need you to know tonight that you are still loved by God, that he died on the cross for you too. We need to hear this because you know, God does want to pull you into his mission. He wants to make you bold. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to be praying. He wants you to be enjoying what it means to be a follower of Christ. But sometimes life beats us up. And he doesn't walk away from us. There's a song. We'll have to sing it sometime. We sang today, Oh, Come All You Faithful. There's a beautiful song that goes, come all you unfaithful. God welcomes sinners. He loves you. And there's a door for you. That's why he died on the cross. Those who are walking on this journey for a long time, I say, look up again at the cross. Look at the love of God for the world on the cross. A love that can't be comprehended. We can't wrap our minds around it. He loves us so much he made these incredible promises. You belong to him. And so in that arrangement, we also make promises, amen? And our brothers and sisters made a bunch of promises. But there's a, right now, we're gonna baptize a few folks. And the beautiful thing about this, okay, it's like communion. What do you do? How, what do you have to prepare for communion? What's your, what's, your, what's your role? The role in communion is literally to open your mouth and receive. <laughs> a meal you didn't prepare. A holy meal you didn't prepare. And here in this mystery of baptism, 
while some tra- tra- traditions, we hear their conversion stories, and that's beautiful. We're going to have a testimony service, by the way, um, January 1st. We'll have just prayer and praise and a bunch of testimonies, and we'd love to hear your stories. But there's a reason why when we do baptism, you don't say nothing, you don't do nothing, because God did it all. He died on the cross for you. <laughs> he loves you. He literally did everything. You just need to show up and get in the water. Amen. <laughs> so let's pray as we prepare. Those who are being baptized, please come forward and let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. Oh, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would, you would just, just load us up with your love where we've been beat up and we've struggled, um, where we felt like we haven't measured up. We pray, Father, that we would just know that you are good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.